Southwest Crimes contains adult themes, strong language, and violence that is not intended for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 19 of the true crime podcast, Southwest Crime. We are your hosts, Lauren Manguso. And Justin Whitmore. And today we have a 16-year-old murder case that has baffled police since it happened. The case is unique to this show and that the victim is actually an adult male. Uh, the crime was not believed to be sexually motivated whatsoever, and the murder was absolutely one of the most senseless that we have ever heard of. Like, it truly does not make sense. I was reading this, and I was like, why? Yeah. Why? <laughs> so, maybe you'll be saying the, saying the same as well. I'm saying mental illness. Uh, I'm putting my money on that. Well, there's a lot of factors going in on here, but let's not speculate. Let's just get into it. Today, we are covering the murder of Al Kite of Aurora, Colorado. Let's get started. Albert Kite Jr., better known to friends and family as Al, was a 53-year-old man living in Aurora, Colorado, which is, of course, the suburb of Denver, for those of you who don't know it, and is very uh, popular for the now infamous shooting of the movie theater during the dark night. So yeah. it hasn't been getting too good of press in the past 20 so such years, but... Anyway, we'll leave that one alone. Um, Al was described by everyone who knew him as extremely sweet, friendly, lovable, and I have to say, honestly, like, from um, his pictures that I've seen, he genuinely looks like that. Like, he yeah. looks like this guy that I just want to hug him. I'm like, you're just like the... He reminds me of, like, you know, who's really whole, wholesome looking? John Goodman. He reminds me of, like, a John Goodman. Like, he's really a wholesome dude, and you're just like, you're adorable. Depends I want to hug you. Depends on what movie. The Big Lebowski, not so much. I've never seen that movie. So, really? Yeah. I've never seen that. But me, I'm just, like, channeling, like, his um, um, Roseanne role back when he was in Roseanne. What was his name? Connor. Last first name. I don't remember. God, what was his name? Dan. Dan Connor. Dan Connor. There you go. Yeah. And I was just like, that is the most lovable dude in the world. Anyways, getting on a tangent. Um, yeah, he just looked like that, like this, like really lovable, he wasn't like fat. He was just like a little chubby dude, super duper happy, had like the smiley eyes. I don't know. He just seemed like the nicest dude ever. And yeah. that's just from a picture. <laughs> Anyways, Al graduated from college with a degree in accounting and started his career as an accountant slash payroll specialist. So he did all of the above. Yeah. He loved his job, and he really, like, loved to travel and got to travel everywhere with it. Throughout his life, he lived all over the United States, and he even worked for a brief period of time in Algeria, which is interesting because I was like, why would you be a payroll specialist in Africa? But, okay. There's companies there. I know there's companies there, but I'm just, like, that's not the first place that I would think of when I become a, an accountant slash payroll specialist. But it's interesting and cool. Good for him. I'm not bashing it. Right, I'm just saying. <laughs> Anyways. 
Finally, at the age of 47, Al decided to settle down in the Denver area, which he felt like he fit in perfectly. He just loved it there. Um, he, he loved the vibe of Colorado, kind of like that natural, like... I don't want to say hippie because he was definitely not a hippie, but he, right. he loved to hike and mountain bike and do outdoorsy kind of stuff. Yeah, he was Col- just that kind of dude. Colorado is a very nice place. Very beautiful. It Been is. there quite a few times. It is. I love Colorado. And that's like, even before they made marijuana legal, I loved Colorado. So. Yeah. <laughs> when I was a kid. Yeah, that's true. When we were kids, we went there a lot. Yeah. Al purchased a large townhome in Aurora, which he had a really large, like, basement area that he converted into a separate living space, so he put in, like, a separate kitchen and everything. Yeah. Um, And he had the intention of renting it out to make some extra passive income. You know, he was smart and money savvy, and he's like, I can do this. So shortly after finishing his renovations to the basement, Al began renting the space out to a couple who remained his tenants for six years. You know, everything worked out really great for them. They were getting along. He was living his life up. But then in 2004, the couple decided uh, not to renew their lease. They were moving on to a new house. And so Al was like, fine, I'll clean the place up. And he posted the listing for the space uh, in a local newspaper. Al had been previously married for 12 years to a woman with whom he helped raise her daughter from another marriage. And although he didn't have any biological children of his own, he considered this girl to basically be his daughter. He like, even after their divorce, he stayed in contact with her. She felt like that was his dad. Like it was basically her daughter or his daughter, excuse me. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Al also had a longtime girlfriend in Aurora, Uh, by the name of Linda, and the two spent quite a bit of time together, although Linda never officially lived in the town home with him. They kind of had their separate lives, but they spent, like, all of their spare time together. So it was, you know, like a normal relationship. Um, On the weekend of May 22nd, 2004, Linda planned on a girls' weekend with some friends out, out of town, and she asked Al if he could take her to the airport. Al agreed, and in between helping his new tenant get settled... He dropped her off at the Denver airport where she would start her weekend vacation. Little did Linda know, this would be the last time that she ever saw her beloved boyfriend ever again. So, Monday, May 25th, concerned co-workers contacted Al's sister when he didn't show up for work that morning. This was extremely out of his character, and after checking to make sure that he wasn't like on PTO or he didn't call in sick that morning and they yeah. just didn't get it, The office decided it'd be best to reach out to his emergency contact. Al's sister attempted to reach him um, through several phone calls, but he never answered the phone. And after, you know, a little while, she became worried that something might have happened to him. You know, he was getting kind of up there in his middle age, and she's like, he could have had a heart attack, something could have happened, he could have had a break-in, who knows? Uh, So she contacted the police for a um, wellness check because she lived out of state, so she couldn't have gone and checked on him on her own. When police arrived at the townhome, they were met with an absolutely gruesome discovery, one that would stick with officers for years and years and years afterwards. And I'm saying that because, seriously, every single officer that they interviewed for this, they were like, that is the most fucked up case we have ever worked on in our careers. So it was not good. Al was found in the basement of his home, hogtied. So that's, you know, where his feet and his hands are bound together behind him. Face down on the floor, completely dead. His body was covered in blood. And it was very obvious early on that he had endured some kind of torture. 
and that he was covered in an unusual amount of wounds to the body. So when you think somebody's been attacked, you think they've been stabbed in the chest, the abdomen, you know, like this general, like thoracic area. But when they found him, the body was nearly decapitated. There were multiple stab wounds above his eye sockets, in his ears, and through his shoulders, and there was a large area of bruising all over his body. Like, not only was he stabbed, he was beaten, he was kicked, like, serious brutality going on here. One officer noticed that the bottoms of his feet were incredibly bruised, which is something that he said he had never seen before in a homicide case. Like, that's not really an area that you focus on too much, which is a bit bizarre. It's also hard to bruise the bottom of your feet. Yeah, that's... Ugh, ugh, I can't even imagine. Investigators began scoping the house, trying to find any evidence to link to the perpetrator. There was no evident signs of a break-in or struggle, so they kind of ruled that one out. Not 100%, because, of course, you can make a break-in look like not a break-in if you're really smart about it. But there was no evident signs of, like, broken glass or them prying a door open or something. The only evidence of significance was in the kitchen sink upstairs. There were several knives, a drinking glass, and a set of keys in the sink that was filled with bleach. Which you're like, what the hell? Why? Authorities began reaching out to neighbors, friends, and family to see if they might have any idea who could have done this heinous crime. Or if they had maybe heard anything the night before. Like any bit of evidence that they could to piece together what had happened. Now, keep in mind, these were townhomes, and there isn't a lot of space between the buildings. In fact, I think it was more like condos than townhomes because they had a shared wall between them. Almost like a duplex. Kind of like that, yeah. They described it as a townhome, but again, I saw pictures of it, and it's like there's four. It's like our condo, you know? It was like four together, and they shared a wall with at least one person. So you really, you know, like... It would be really hard to think that somebody didn't hear something that went on that night. But, you know, I don't know. Like, nobody ever mentioned hearing anything when they talked to the neighbors. They're just like, no, we didn't see or notice anything odd. Later in the investigation, forensics would conduct their own experiment because they thought, just like us, how the hell is that possible? How can this guy be tortured and not hear anything? So what they did was they had one person stand in the basement and, like, scream and yell at the top of their lungs and, like, make a huge fuss as loud as they could while they had other people stand in, like, adjacent homes, outside, like, in the yeah. front yard and stuff like that. And sure enough, you really couldn't hear anything from any of those locations. Like, nothing that would make you think somebody's being tortured or murdered or even distressed. A lot of uh, insulation. Insulation, I guess. I guess, I, I mean, know. it gets cold in Colorado. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess that's really good for the energy bills. I don't, I don't know. know, but that's that's crazy to me. One neighbor came forward and let the police know that that weekend a new tenant was moving in uh, to the space in the basement, and this immediately caught the police's attention. But unfortunately, the neighbor couldn't really provide much information on the guy other than he was just moving in. Like right. they didn't really have too much of an interaction. He mentioned uh, the guy seemed very rude and that he was walking outside on Friday and the neighbor saw him. He went over to introduce himself because this neighbor was really friendly with Al and he was also friendly with his other tenants that lived there. So he's like, hey, I'm going to go introduce myself. Be like, how's it going? Do you need any help? And just wanted to welcome him into the neighborhood. To which this man basically, and he's, these are his own words, he snubbed him 
as in like he didn't want to talk to him he didn't want to engage in conversation walked right past the dude got into his car and left without saying anything and he thought that was weird but again there's plenty of rude people out there and that doesn't mean that they're killers or potential killers it just means they're assholes so he didn't really think too much of it and when linda was interviewed she had a similar story in that she was over friday afternoon before al took her to the airport she'd gone to the bathroom but she could hear al speaking with the man and saying that he wanted to introduce him to his girlfriend However, when she emerged from the bathroom and went into the living room where they were standing, the man quickly retreated, making some kind of excuse as to why he couldn't meet her and left the house to go get more stuff, quote unquote. Like he just like weirdly left in a hurry. She never got to speak to the man, but she did get a decent glimpse of him and she was probably the closest person to him aside from Al in this situation. So she could give a good description. She described him as being in his 40s with dark wavy hair, Uh, He was really nicely dressed and about, like, average height and build. Linda was able to assist the police in finding the paperwork for his rental agreement. And on the paperwork, the man had completely filled out the information. So, great. They're like, maybe this will lead us to something. He listed his name as Robert Cooper. And Linda remembered Al mentioning that he had relocated to Aurora for his um, job at a Wells Fargo. Or at least that's what the paperwork said and Al had mentioned to her. This was obviously the same information provided on that paperwork, but when they, the police actually looked into this, no one by the name or that description uh, had ever worked at Wells Fargo in that area. So he was basically just making this shit up. Yeah. Which, I mean, technically you can do that because there's plenty of times that I've filled out information for my job, like when we were trying to get a condo or an apartment. Nobody ever checks that shit. They're just like, oh, okay, makes sense. Or they ask you for a pay stub. And I'm assuming Al probably didn't ask him for a pay stub at that point. That's private. Yeah. Cooper had paid the deposit for the rental in cash, so couldn't really trace it to any banks or anything like that. And it was evident that all the information on this paperwork was falsified, and Robert Cooper was indeed not this man's name. For the sake of simplicity, um, I'm going to continue to call him by the name Robert Cooper or refer to him as that, but we know that that is not his real name. We don't really know what his name is at this point. After further questioning Linda on the events leading up to her trip to the airport and based on forensic analysis, investigators were able to piece together what they believe transpired that weekend. Although, of course, there is serious room for error since we don't know much. Cooper was in the process of moving in to the basement that Friday afternoon. He asked Al to help him move this old recliner that he had into his living space. Al agreed, but he said he needed to take Linda to the airport first and that he would be right back to help. So he took Linda, as we said. They had that weird encounter beforehand, as we said. And then when he returned, Al and Cooper began to move the chair. At some point, after the chair was placed downstairs, Cooper struck Al, subduing him. He bound him by his wrists and ankles and set him in the very chair that he had helped him move just minutes before. Cooper grabbed several knives from Al's kitchen and began to torture him over several hours. Later that night, Cooper would stay upstairs in Al's part of the home, eating his food, sleeping in his bed, and using his toiletries before he would leave in the early morning. At some point during the torture, Cooper obtained Al's debit card and was probably given his PIN number by force. Yeah. But, I mean, when it's your life versus your bank account, who gives a fuck about your bank account? Right. Uh, When Cooper left the next morning, he took Al's truck to an ATM. He withdrew $1,000 from Al's account, and then he abandoned the truck down the road, leaving the ATM receipts in the driver's seat. 
Although ATM surveillance footage did capture Cooper, he was wearing a ski mask and thus all of his face, with the exception of his eyes, were blocked from view. So it wasn't very helpful. Cooper would dispose of Al's credit cards and phones throughout various spots in Denver and then vanish seemingly into thin air, never to be seen again. A composite sketch was made of the man through Linda and the neighbor's description and the surveillance photo uh, that was released to the public. But both pictures were so incredibly generic and unhelpful that like they didn't get practically any leads from this. And it just ended up being dead ends. And I have yeah. pictures of the, the first sketches on this website. It's straight up, like, you could not pick out one detail on this person that was, like... Distinctive, Exactly. Yeah. It, it just looks like a generic picture of a dude. So, all right then. Um, the case would go cold rather quickly as there just wasn't any information out there on this mysterious man. Several months after the story broke, a handful of landlords throughout the Denver area came forward saying that they had met with who they believed to be the same man interested in renting a property from them as well. All information on all of the forms that he filled out for them were falsified, and most of the addresses were near the University of Colorado Medical School for some reason. They don't know other than maybe he was trying to, like, capture students. Yeah. Um, but they don't really know. One renter noted that he walked with a limp, while another mentioned that he didn't notice a limp at all. Another specifically mentioned that he had spoken with a Romanian accent. Now, this might sound like a pretty off-the-wall claim to make, but it just so happens that this renter was actually a professor at that college who specialized in linguistics and language, and she was very familiar with Romanian accents and accents of the like Balkan region in general, which is like Romania, Bulgaria, Syria, that area of the world. So finally, you know, they she's saying this has to be this guy who is has a Romanian accent, and so they you know wrote that down, and they're like, okay, sounds good. Uh, one woman flat out refused to rent to him because she felt he was quote unquote off. Like something was definitely weird about him, which is good yep. for her. Like yeah. she listened to her gut. She's like, fuck no, I'm not going to rent to you, you weirdo. Yep. Sometimes, so. unfortunately for Al, sometimes being soft and cuddly, you just go, hey, I'm going to give everyone the benefit of the doubt. But yeah. if you're a more cynical asshole and yeah. you go, no, fuck you, you're weird. Sometimes I, I save your life. See, this is why I could never in my entire life have a roommate or a tenant yeah. or anybody living with I me. Mean, One we were roommates. Yeah, but you're my brother. I've lived with you my whole life That's anyways. True. But, like, people that I don't know, one, I am extremely difficult to live with. Uh -huh. <laughs> I like things a certain way, uh -huh. and if you don't do it that way, I get very pissed off. Do not eat my BLTs, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> and also, because you just never know. Like, I know you, and yes, you could have potentially killed me. Which is fine. I mean, if it's which gonna is fine. <laughs> if it's going to happen, it's going to happen. It might as well be you. But you're my brother. So we have like a bigger connection than just that. But like people who just live with these random um, roommates. Like I knew people in college who barely knew their roommate at all. Mm -hmm. It's just like, I'm just looking a person to fill the space and pay me money every month. And I'm like, how could you do that? They could be a serial killer. Yep. But, mm. but for the record, I would never kill you because Ruchi would be sad. That's true. Fox would be very sad. Because I buy his food. Yep. <laughs> Anyways. When police looked into the information these renters were given, they noticed, as expected, he used a burner phone to contact all of these rentals so he couldn't be traced back to any type of 
phone contact, um, contract, excuse me. Although this information may have shed some more light onto the profile of this person, it still really didn't give any clear direction as to where he had gone or like even as far out as 2016, law enforcement had very little headway on solving this crime. They didn't have anything. They had these general pieces of information. He may or may not be Romanian. He may or may not have had a limp, but it wasn't definitive. And there was actually no person that they were pointing fingers to. No names, no whereabouts or anything like that. All you have are the edges of the puzzle, but you don't have any in the middle pieces. Yeah, and those little pieces, I mean, those middle pieces are a bitch, let me tell you. Yeah. I love puzzles, by the way. (laughs) Do you remember that time that we did, not to get off topic. We said we were going to do a puzzle, and then like two days into it, you're like, nah. Well, the cats messed it up, but remember we started doing that cute kitty puzzle and we were watching Making of a Murderer together? Yeah. (laughs) That was awesome. Oh, God. Good sibling times. (laughs) Anyways. But in 2017, the case would officially start getting more attention after investigators began thinking outside of the box on this case. You see, blood had been found on the crime scene back in 2004 that did not match Al's DNA. And this was processed in the normal fashion for 2004 and compared to the DNA list in CODIS, which is great. Except we all know that if the perpetrator has not been in trouble with the law and their DNA won't be in this database. So, in 2017, this DNA was sent off to a company by the name of Parabon Nanolabs, who specializes in DNA phenotyping. So, think back to biology class when you had the genotype and the phenotype. The genotype was where you're assessing the genes. You have, like, big R, big R, big R, little r. And then phenotyping were the physical characteristics that manifest from having that gene. So, like, red hair versus brown hair type of thing. They phenotyped this individual's DNA... And they were able to come up with a 3D rendering of what this individual probably looked like at around age 25 and then at around like age 45, which is what Linda had said he was in his 40s. So this Mm -hmm. was probably close to what he looked like at the time. He indeed probably does have dark brown hair based off of this um, genetic analysis, brown eyes, fair skin, and get this, his ancestry is comprised of 100% southern and southeastern European heritage, specifically a large person portion from the Balkan region. Oh, so he's Romanian. Very possibly Romanian or from that area, which yeah. is cool. I'm like, holy crap. How they found that out. Y'all are so smart. And I think it's even cooler that that lady talking to him for however long she did was like, oh, he has a Romanian accent. Like, that's just awesome. I think language yeah. is so cool. I love studying language. Not going to nerd out anymore on that. Okay. Throughout the year's investigations, Oh, crap. Throughout the years, investigators have speculated if they were dealing with a one-time perpetrator or possibly a serial killer based on a few key points observed from the case. So the first one that they pointed out was Cooper did not take all of the money in Al's bank account. In fact, he took very little compared to what the actual balance was, uh, which would prevent the bank from, like, flagging the account or, you know, taking any necessary steps to be like, hey, something's amiss here. The killer also left plenty of DNA and fingerprints throughout the home, so he used the bleach to destroy the fingerprints and, and... or to destroy the DNA, but he left fingerprints all over the place. And they're assuming that he probably knew what he was doing and probably knew that they would never catch him because he hadn't been fingerprinted or been put into the system before. This was not a sexual crime whatsoever. Um, He was caught on the camera at the ATM, but he had the wherewithal to cover his face enough to where nobody would be able to identify him. And this was not likely 
his first kill based upon the intense amount of planning that went into it. This right. was not like a, you know, heat of the moment kill where it was just yep. like, I'm pissed or I want to kill you or whatever. Like, he planned this. He clearly was going to these people and meticulously planning, okay, Linda's going to be out of town. I have all weekend alone with this guy. Like, boom, 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 boom. We can do this. Yep. Another interesting piece that came up recently in this case was, remember when we mentioned that the body was found with those really bizarre bruises on the bottom of the feet? Well, investigators had mentioned that they had never seen anything like that. But when they consulted binding expert Lindsay Philbot and intelligence analysis Julie Quinn, both had seen something like this before and were able to possibly shed light onto the weird form of torture that Al went through. Quinn noted that there is a type of foot beating common in Turkey called falca. It is used as a way to extract information or by beating a person to maintain compliance. Uh, this makes a lot of sense because based on the DNA analysis of the perpetrator that was found in the area, and additionally, a honing rod for knives that had also been found in the sink with the bleach, um, and then they examined the bruises on the bottom of his feet, and they were, like, in the shape of this honing knife. So they appear to be a possible match. So they think, okay, this guy's around the turkey area. I mean, we're maybe grabbing yeah. at straws, maybe not, but it makes sense. And he beat his foot probably to get information, either, like, the PIN number or his debit card or whatever. And then all of these bruises on the bottom of his foot match up with that weapon that was in there. So it makes a lot of sense that this could actually be a possible match. Another interesting tidbit of information that Philbot was able to provide was the way that Al was tied was very specifically linked to a group called the Turkish Hezbollah, in which hog tying is like their signature thing that they do to their victims. Yeah. They were known for their torture tactics, and although they disbanded in the 2000s, leaving many members to flee the region to avoid capture, obviously these people are still out there today, and they just went to another area. Yeah. Police are still exploring these new leads in the case, but as of today, there's still no suspect in the senseless murder of Al Kite. If you have any information on the suspect, you are encouraged to contact Agent Thomas Sibiski, who is the lead homicide detective in this case. And yeah, isn't this like the weirdest, most yeah. bizarre, fucked up case that you've heard in a long time? It definitely, he seems like, like they were saying, it's probably not his first kill just based on yeah. the fact that it wasn't heat of the moment. And But again, if he is a part of this like Turkish torture group, how fucking bizarre is that? To be in like Aurora, Colorado, of all places... And just be, like, the victim of this senseless crime. And they really think, like, there's a lot of weight being put into this um, group that he might have been a part of or this theory that he was a part of it because they're, like, those people are trained to be basically, like, it's a group of psychopaths who love to torture people. And when they're yeah. disbanded and they have to, like, be on the run... It's the same way in which a serial killer works in that, like, they need that next person. They need right. that next. So even though the group's disbanded, like, he still gets enjoyment from doing things like this. So he has to find it in other ways. And who knows, like, with all the planning and how, like, under the radar he is in general and how good he is at lying and knowing how to lie and manipulate his way through. Like, how many people throughout the United States has he done this to? Yeah. So, I mean, throughout the world. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if there's any ca other cases out there that people are being hogtied and tortured. I don't know. But it's just, 
Well, it's a weird one. <laughs> if there are, you know, you can always contact the detective or Crime Stoppers or any of the <laughs> other and like give them that information. Yeah, because I don't know. That's just bizarre to me. Yeah. But yeah. Well, folks, that is all the time that we have for today. Join us next week for another episode. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram and Twitter, and subscribe on the various podcast podcast platforms. Good Lord, I cannot talk today, Justin. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Great. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go relax and stop having a stroke. And until next time, friends, be careful out there and don't rent out your basement to weird people, please, for God's sake. Go Just with your don't gut. do it. Go with your gut. Go with your gut. I mean, maybe he went with his gut, maybe he didn't have a gut reaction to this guy. But I'm gonna say be high maintenance like me. Do not live with other people. Don't do it. Yeah. All right. Bye. Bye. <laughs>